Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me is a full-fledged member of the Oklahoma Film Hall of Fame, Zach Mabry. Zach, you're a Hall of Famer. I'm not a Hall of Famer. Just another thing you can hold over me. How are you today? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I think we're about a year and a half uh, late on the news about the Oklahoma Film Hall of Fame, but it's a pretty cool memory, so hey. I was just thinking of a way to introduce you, so, you know, that's what I that's what I do here. Oh, so it was the 24th year anniversary of the release of Little Rascals this week, right? For For those of you who are just joining us on the podcast, Zach was on Little Rascals. It is something we talk about a lot because it is the best thing either of us has accomplished in our lives. True. But <laughs> it got me thinking about that poor editor on that film like it must have been a disaster for that guy to have to edit because oh probably because you guys were recording so choppy right like they would just try and get reaction shots and then they would just try and get you to say lines over and over like it had to have taken him forever to piece that thing together yeah well kind of i mean like i had a really intense memory so like i would have the lines memorized and any deviation from the script, like just the slightest thing. And I would, right. I'd go off and I'd, I'd yell cut and all this stuff. And then they had to like <laughs> talk to my mom and be like, you need to make him stop doing this, please. Right. Um, but that's just more that they had to edit. And then I do know that there were some sound problems. And so like after the fact, having to go into a recording studio and, and just repeat certain words over and over and over again, because they didn't get the sound correct and so they had to go like layer the the vocal component man that sounds like a disaster yeah but you know the finished product i have to say you know it's held it's held up kids still watch it i'm telling you oh yeah no it's great if you still watch us watch us if you still watch it and want to tweet us at roman circus pod feel free i'm at hey it's matt baker zach is at z-a-c mabry email us podcast at romancircusblog.com this is the one. <laughs> i'm doing terrible this is i'm butchering this but i'm going find us on itunes rate and review us if you want you can also find us on podbean stitcher google play and anywhere else podcasts are enter our promo code at checkout let them know we sent you anyway zach yes uh do you have any news this week it's it's been kind of a slow news week as far as i'm concerned in the secular world there were some special elections but we don't talk about those who cares about those and right uh, yeah something with paul manafort which i didn't follow because that's just a snooze fest to me but oh he um, bought an ostrich jacket or he has like multiple ostrich jackets or something but yeah I don't know. I mean, who who doesn't? If he who doesn't have an ostrich jacket cast the first stone, that's what I've always said. Right. I mean, you know, I I've never owned anything made from ostrich, but I I've heard good things. <laughs> sure. We've heard things. Yes. Um, you know, other things in the news is kind of continued uh progress on this sort of Catholic Me Too 
movement. Um, right. I think Cardinal World proposed um, like a committee be set up mm-hmm. to handle bishops who um, are, you know, predators. Yeah, and, and so, who's going to be on this committee, Zach? Well, right. I mean, there was a committee of bishops that drafted the Dallas Accords, and, and one right. of those was, uh, you know, now Archbishop McCarrick. So I think that that's not necessarily a good idea. I think perhaps, um, you know, I, I would echo some of the caution that's come from people like Adrian Vermeule um, about you know, bringing in a completely outside organization just because obviously, uh, you know, a secular civil government has no authority over the church. Um, so I would say maybe, you know, the Holy See should appoint um, like an inquisitor to come in sure. and, uh, and handle things. One thing that I saw pointed out that was interesting to me is they said, you know, this is why we, we should have uh, the minor orders, you know, these um, lower orders below, obviously the truly ordained, uh, deacons, priests, and and bishops, and so then you know have some subdeacons who are still you know part of the church but are not um, not truly part of the clergy. Have them uh, take the reins, and so that's an interesting point they made about how there was more of a structure in the past that would would help prevent these type or help address these things. Um, but yeah, I mean perhaps you know the the U.S. Church gets put under some kind of formal visitation by the Holy See, and you know every bishop is is thoroughly investigated um and obviously you know with zero tolerance for any violations of the vows of chastity um or something like that because obviously i mean this is a serious problem and we need to flush it out i just don't really think that we need to hand the reins over to um, a civil government but that's just my opinion no i agree with that you have to you can't you have to keep it in-house but not in-house of like bishops interrogating other bishops Right. Yeah. Like not not in a not in the frat house. Yeah. <laughs> or the, the beach house. But uh, yeah, I always gotta. I always laugh off when a company does something wrong, and they're like, "Well, we're don't worry, we're holding an internal investigation, and we'll get we'll get it all out there, and we'll get the info to you whenever this internal investigation wraps up." Like it, I don't know. Does it ever amount to anything except a few slaps on the wrist? So. Right. No, I mean, normally it's, yeah, we've, we've handled it. Oh, really? Um, but you know, and it's, it, it's like we've said that the hierarchy of the church is part of the deposit of faith. So it's, it's not something that can just be disregarded. And so what the hierarchy again is the, the people under the priests, under the bishops, under the Pope. And so, you know, within that structure is where the, where this should, should be coming. Um, which essentially just says, you know, it needs to be obviously done under the authority of the Pope. Um, right. So hopefully he gets involved. Um, one thing that he did get involved in this past week, uh, Pope Francis is, um, announced a change to the catechism of the Catholic church, mm-hmm. um, to update it, to say that the death penalty is inadmissible. Um, let me get the actual text. I thought I had it sitting here, but I didn't. Um, you know, previously, obviously, the church is not a big fan of governments doing the death penalty, right? For various reasons, um, you know, and I have to say, I agree on a practical level that a lot of these current regimes probably shouldn't be exercising that power, just because you know there's a lot of sketchy stuff that happens. Um, 
in that level. So I think on a practical level, a lot of people are somewhat in agreement with, uh, with the change. Mm -hmm. Um, but it did spark kind of debates about, you know, is the death penalty intrinsically wrong? Is it, is it acceptable depending on the circumstances? Um, you know, what's the, the moral status of the death penalty? Right. And so, you know, the teaching of the church remains that the death penalty is, is, you know, fine or, you know, not intrinsically evil. Um, it's just that the circumstances in most cases make it not, you know, a licit option. Okay. Yeah. Which is tricky, right? right? Oh yeah. No, it's, it's one of those things. Everyone, you know, we, we all had our fun for about 10 hours before we fully digested what this change or what this, uh, statement meant because you get people who are rushing out there saying that Pope Francis has changed the church. And this clearly means that he's not the Pope and we need to string him up. Right. And then you get the other people who are like, yeah, well, it's obvious that church has never taught that the death penalty is any good and the death penalty is always evil. But, you know, when it came right down to it, it was obviously neither of those things. So it took about a day for everyone to calm down, which is, you know, that's what I would say. If it takes everybody a day to calm down, that's pretty good because it means that they didn't take them a week to calm down in the day and age we have with so much information coming in at such rapid speeds. I, right. One thing for me personally, that was kind of confusing or just kind of, I had to think about was the idea of saying that something is not intrinsically evil, like abortion, for example. Right. But Mm -hmm. that we should not, administer it it's it's yeah like we just stated it's very tricky because i i'm not i'm not a huge death penalty guy from the standpoint of i don't care if anyone ever gets put to death right but i acknowledge that many people within the church have said have spoken about the the aspects of salvation of it, right? Or the aspects of um, giving your life for something great. Like, I get all that. Like, I, I actually do think that it can be a beautiful thing if it if it's done correctly, right? Under the right circumstances. So I I don't know what that makes me, if that makes me just a giant fence sitter of someone who, who sees the, the potential beauty in it, but also doesn't actually care if it's ever administered ever again. Does that make sense? Sure. And I mean, there's, um, there's old sort of books you can find of rituals that, you know, when somebody was sentenced to death there, you know, the priests would, you know, if they weren't baptized, they would offer them baptism, you know, uh, reminding them of this and this, if they were baptized, they would offer them the sacrament of confession, Mm -hmm. you know, reminding them of such and such. And, you know, it sort of shows just the link that the church went to, to make sure that these people that were going to be executed by the civil authorities would, uh, would end up in heaven. And you right. know, just make absolutely every channel of mercy available to them at that moment, and so it you know it becomes that. Whereas you know in the prisons, there's not really you know uh, the priests go there and they say mass and all that kind of stuff, but um, you know it's different. So that's just something interesting to think about historically. Um, 
what the catechism used to say in paragraph 2267, that's the one that changed, is it said, um, Assuming the guilty party's identity and responsibility have been fully determined, the traditional teaching of the church does not exclude recourse to the death penalty if this is the only possible way of effectively defending human lives against the unjust aggressor. Sure. Um, so what it now says is the church teaches in light of the gospel that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviability and dignity of the person. And she works with determination for its abolition worldwide. Um, and that's quoting a speech that Pope Francis gave uh, last October in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they gave as the reasons for the change are the increasing effectiveness of detention systems, uh, growing understanding of the unchanging dignity of the person, and leaving open the possibility of conversion. And so, um, you know, ultimately, I, I that's kind of interesting to me, simply because, I mean, I don't know, you know, I haven't done like a prison study, so I don't really right. know what the, the state of detention systems throughout the world, especially outside the West, is. Um, the growing understanding of the unchanging dignity of the person... I don't know that that the whole the world is. I I don't really see that growth. I mean, I I'll I I'll know. be honest, straight up, honest with you. Zach. Like that's the part that bugs me the most out of all of this. Like it, not because we don't understand. I don't think we understand. Uh, sorry, how do I phrase that? It's not because I don't think we have a lack of understanding of dignity. That's so many negative. I use so many negatives in that sentence. Okay, let me try one more time before I have to edit this. I think the idea that we know more about the dignity of the human person now than we did before might not be completely correct. I agree. Um, You know, I I think it, it seems to me that the opposite is true. Um... Well, that could be true, but also the idea is the people's dignity is never changing. Everyone has the same amount of dignity that's ever existed on planet Earth, right? Yeah. So we might know more things about how the human body works or the, the mind, or we might know about things like this, but it doesn't necessarily change the dignity. And the church is always taught about the dignity of the person. So... For me, it's when you start getting into the world of, oh, we we just know things a little better, know things a little different than we used to. That's it's tough territory to start treading into. Right, right. Um, And then, you know, the possibility of conversion. I don't I don't know. Again, I, I don't know how many people who spend life in prison convert. Um, so, I'm all you know, for it, it though. It's interesting. I want to give everybody oh, sure. every chance to convert. I well, I think everyone should have every single moment of their life to get right with God before they die. So the more chances we give them, the better. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I hey, and, but I'm not going to go off the rails. Whatever people, when people ask me my opinion on the death penalty, I will say whatever this new phrases i will i will be a good catholic and i will say it because i mean i i believe it on some level right even though i said i disagree or i have 
issue with some of the statement overall i think that it is not intrinsically evil it's just not admissible at this time is okay i'll say it i'm on board right well and there's interesting history here because you know the the catech- so we're going to talk about this in this episode. Right. But the Catechism of the Catholic Church was promulgated in 1992. Um, and actually, the section on the death penalty was edited once in 1997 um, to essentially say that it should be very rare if practically non the The conditions that make it allowed are very rare if practically non-existent. And so mm. this paragraph seems to be you know, having something of an identity crisis over the last you know, 20 some odd years, if it's having to be changed, you know, twice in our lifetime. Um, No, but it's fair. It's the idea that it should not be administered very frequently is a very fair thing to say. Like, and I don't, I mean, I don't think it actually is administered very frequently. Right. But it, uh, I, yeah, it's fine. If it's fine. Cause like I said, don't do it. Don't do it if you don't want to do it. That's 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 pretty fine with me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if it has so, so here, okay, well that let's go into that. So because, debates on the sorry, what? yeah. So debates on the death penalty are kind of boring to me, and right. most of us are not executioners, so I don't even know how relevant they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm I'm not planning to uh, administer lethal injection. You know, I mean, it, it's. You know, assuming you're not an executioner, I don't know how relevant this is, or or I guess a murderer. Um, but uh, the what what I think would be ni- nice to talk about is, like we said, um, the catechism and what what makes a catechism. You know, right? The ramifications of understanding the catechism are much greater for your spiritual life than just picking and choosing parts of it to quibble about. I agree. Sure. Okay, so, yeah, you. this is your... All right. The wonderful Lauren on Twitter once pointed out that uh, it sounds like every episode we get together and we're like, all right, do you know more about this? Will you take the lead? Or I'll know more about this, so I'll take the lead. To pull back the curtain, that's exactly what we do. Zach, you know more about the catechism. Please take the lead on this episode. <laughs> um, I'll do my best. Okay. Uh, so... So being a convert, when I um, was first coming to the church, people would recommend that I check out the catechism. And that's all that they said. So when I went out looking for the catechism, I would stumble onto all these different things. Um, the catechism of the Catholic Church, the Baltimore Catechism, the Roman Catechism, you know, the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults. Um, different different publications, all called catechism. Right. Um and then I would see the word catechism being used before any of these books were published. Um, and so I think defining our terms is a good place to start. So, um, you know, the church's catechism is, is really the teachings of the church, you know, the deposit of faith and, you know, the body of, of beliefs and of statements and doctrines that the church holds to be true. Right. Um, and then, you know, anytime those beliefs, those ideas are sort of codified into a book or publication, that's what, you know, most people are thinking of. A catechism would be like a book on the shelf. Okay? 
Okay. So there's catechisms that pop up, you know, kind of sporadically in different locations, in different languages, etc. throughout history. Um, and so I just want to talk about some of the, the big ones. So most people, if they say the catechism, they're and they're referring to a book, they're probably referring to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which was issued in 1992 by Pope St. John Paul II. Um, the most common edition I see is it's like a softback book with a paperback uh, put out by the USCCB Publishing, and it's got like a green cover. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, there's also a hardcover white version that's like smaller, um, and then I think there's a paperback white version with gold letters. Yeah, that's the one the that, that I've... I grew up with i had that in school so okay so that was put out um by pope john paul ii based on a commission that was formed in the 80s and head up by uh joseph ratzinger who went on to be uh, pope benedict the 16th and after that pope emeritus benedict the 16th um and he put together with a committee that catechism that's what most people are referring to now if you run into somebody in america who is primarily like a latin mass person Mm -hmm. when they say the catechism they may be for be referring to the baltimore catechism okay so what the baltimore catechism is is it's um, a catechism that was put together by the american bishops specifically for catholics in america um this was done kind of towards the end of the 19th century and um, it's a question and answer format. It's broken up into lessons, and there's actually um, four versions, like one, two, three, and then four is kind of unofficial, each one sort of corresponding to a different age group. And then four is kind of like the teacher's manual, so it's got a lot more explanations. But it's basically question and answers, and it was kind of a teaching tool that was used um, for Catholics growing up in schools uh, until about the Second Vatican Council when they stopped using it. So um, this was basically a way for the people, the lay people to know the dogmas and doctrines of the church. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so that's what we're basically saying. We're taking, you know, the teachings, which are, you know, catechism, and then we're basically creating a teaching tool or a reference tool that's a particular publication. So the two we've talked about are the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which was issued in 1992, and then the Baltimore Catechism, which was issued in America um, at the end of the 19th century. Okay. So another... So that's kind of demonstrates two different ways that catechisms come about. They can be issued by the the church for the whole church, or, um, you know, a local catechism issued by the bishops of, you know, one country or one area, specifically for the people in that area. It doesn't necessarily mean that the stuff in it isn't true for everybody everywhere. It just kind of means that the teaching tool itself was designed for that purpose in mind. Um, right, to adhere to local customs or make it easier for the people in that region to understand it. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay, so it'd be it would, yeah, it would of, be the same teachings. It would just be tailor made to the people. Mm-hmm. Okay, right, and I mean you know language was important too, and all that, um, and so these pop up throughout time, um, and so the history of this is that the first universal catechism that the church published 
um, you know, for the, you know, for the whole church was after the Council of Trent when the Roman Catechism was promulgated by Pope St. Pius V. So there's three names that could be used to describe this catechism. It could be called the Roman Catechism, like I said, or the Catechism of the Council of Trent, or the Catechism of Pope St. Pius V. So those are all the same catechism, and they refer to um, kind of that first universal catechism that the church ever promulgated. Okay. Um, it was published in 1566, so, you know, we're nearing its 500th birthday. Wow. I know. <laughs> um it's interesting. I have a copy. It's published by Tan Books at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a new edition or a new publishing just came out of uh, from Baronius Press. So they're running the Catechism of Trent too. Um, I haven't really seen them take titles out of... Yes, all their books are like very attractive too, like the binding. And they, they put a lot of work into making sure that they look nice. And so, um, you know, I always like what they put out. And typically when Baronius publishes something, they continue publishing it. Um, which is very different from what happens at Tan Books. And so, you know, check out Baronius Press if you want to order a, a Catechism of the Council of Trent. Or there's a copy of it in the app that we recommended called uh, IPETA. So that app has the Roman Catechism in it. Um, I think my favorite thing about this one is that, you know, after Trent there was this great concern that, you know, the the faithful needed to be instructed in all the truths of the faith because you had all this uh chaos and confusion from the Protestant uh, rebellion and, um, you know, all these crazy ideas from people like Martin Luther and, mm-hmm. and Calvin and, and whatnot. Um, so it, they actually took this catechism, they broke it up into sections that corresponded with the gospel readings for each Sunday of the year. And there's um, a dogmatic teaching. So something um, dogmatic would be like talking about the Immaculate Conception right. or our Lord's you know, being fully man and fully God. And then a, a moral subject. So something like, you know, something from one of the commandments or a moral topic. So there's a dogmatic teaching and a moral teaching assigned to each Sunday of the year to where um, what they encouraged pastors to do was basically just preach this part of the catechism on these Sundays so that the priests had a, you know, a structure that they could follow. So that within a year, the people who went to mass would would hear the entire catechism. They would learn basically all of the core doctrines of the faith. Um, and so what I do, and I always recommend people do it, is you know just go pick up a copy, and each Sunday you know you can read a section of it. And within a year, you know without putting a whole bunch of time into it, you'll have taken essentially a religion course um, taught by the the council fathers from Trent, and. Um, and I don't know if this is in every edition, but in the tan, uh, the tan books edition, certain parts are cited back to the Summa. So if you want to go online to New Advent or somewhere and find the Summa Theologiae by St. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, you can then do further reading that way. So it's sort of like a guided study program of the doctrines of the faith. Um, so that one, that's one of the reasons that I really like the Roman Catechism is because it's Again, it's been a trusted source for nearly 500 years, and it's just infinitely practical. Um, it's not too wordy or verbose, and it uh, it's it's very accessible. So I would say pick up a copy or find it for free online um, if you can. Um, so 
That was the very first universal catechism put out by the church. The most recent, of course, is the 92 catechism that was just edited this past week. And then uh, in the middle of that, Pope St. Pius X put out a catechism that's sort of a question and answer short catechism for the whole church. It's actually very similar to the Baltimore catechism in a lot of ways. Um, but it's it's a neat one. It's in that IPA type book. I don't have a copy of it. I haven't seen it widely published, mm-hmm. but it's out there. So those are the three... Um, those are the three different universal catechisms that the church has put forth in the past. Right. Okay, so the reason <coughs> that catechisms don't come out constantly is because, well, one, the teaching of the church doesn't change, and you also don't want people to think that it does. Is that fair to say? Yes, and so this is one thing that I've heard said by priests is that, you know, Perhaps what should have happened, um, you know, in the 80s and 90s was that they just simply take the Roman Catechism and they add an addendum to sort of refer to the dogmatic definition of the Immaculate Conception and the dogmatic definition of the Assumption Mm -hmm. and and not create the perception that truth had changed. Right. Um, On the other side of that argument, I've heard, you know, because there was just so much chaos and confusion after the Second Vatican Council... That you know, putting out a um, a new catechism kind of helped people understand that yes, like this catechism is inclusive of all the new things, and um, you know it kind of helps you see what has and hasn't changed, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Right. Um, so you know that's there, and an important thing to understand is that these are teaching documents. They're put out by the magisterium, at least the three universal catechisms. And um, they're not like canon law. So when uh, when the 1983 Code of Canon Law was promulgated by JP2, it became you know the only Code of Canon Law applicable at the time. Okay, and so it completely replaced the 1917 Code of Canon Law that had been promulgated by Benedict the Fifteenth um, in 1917. And so you couldn't point to a law in the 1917 code and say, this is still binding because that was no longer the code of canon law mm-hmm. with a teaching document, like a catechism. It doesn't work like that. These, these don't replace each other. The, the Roman catechism wasn't, um, replaced by the catechism that Pius X put out. And neither of those were replaced by the catechism that Pope St. John Paul II put out. You know, these are all three, Catechisms that the church that are part of the church's magisterium that are you know available for study. Um, there's even a, a brief section in the you know the intro, or actually it was the Apostolic Constitution where John Paul II promulgated the Catechism of the Catholic Church, where he you know he references the Roman Catechism, the Catechism of Pius V, and says that you know this the new Catechism sort of follows the same structure laid out before, kind of pointing to you know, the wisdom of, of the Roman catechism. So you don't have to, it's not, it, it's, it's hard to explain, but ultimately a new catechism doesn't supersede an old catechism, um, unless something like that were explicitly proclaimed. You know, if someone were to say, okay, this catechism, you know, some Pope were to say is, is tossed out, then that would, you know, that would potentially mean that. Um, well, but ultimately, but Zach would, that would bring into question if that other catechism had error and had been teaching error for 
as long as it had been available. Right. So the re- right. So the reason that the three don't cancel each other out is because, uh, to an extent, they're not much different from each other. They couldn't be really different because the the t- teachings of the church would remain constant throughout that period. Right. Well, and that's that's why I really appreciate the Roman Catechism is because it's had you know almost five hundred years to sort of. Um, be digested by the church and you know the the church has had a chance to make any updates or clarifications or anything that's necessary and so it's it's pretty stable okay 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 the the newer catechism the one thing that's sort of unfortunate is now my copy is is now out of date because um they've changed a paragraph no zach say it ain't so I know, not the end of the world. Again, like I said, I'm not. Uh, I don't work for the justice system. I'm not an executioner, so that paragraph doesn't have a whole lot of um, sway in my life. But um, you know, it's a little bit unfortunate that now it's outdated, and you know, the book publishers have to go and and publish new ones and whatnot. And so you can kind of um, more or less avoid that by picking an older catechism that's already sort of settled. Um, so, okay, so we've talked about, you know, what is catechism? We've talked about universal catechisms, the three that the church has in its magisterium. Right. Um, we've talked about local catechisms. Um, to kind of expand on the local catechism topic, so like we said, the Baltimore Catechism is a very famous American catechism that, you know, anyone who grew up up until about the 40s or 50s would, would know it pretty well. They, you know, have it memorized in grade school and and whatnot. Um, over in England, there's the Penny Catechism. Um, I have a copy that I picked up in London once. and That it's, sounds it's like such a British catechism, such an English catechism. Doesn't it? Just the name alone. It's very adorable. Yes. It was funny because at the bookstore, when I picked it up, the, the clerk actually was quoting it. Like they, they really did have it sort of memorized. And so it... Um, I don't know, that made me laugh when I was there. So I, I got a little copy of it. It's pretty short, though. It's a lot smaller than the Baltimore Catechism. Um, there's also, like I mentioned in the opening, there's the, uh, it's like called the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults. Right. Um, and that's sort of a, a guide that's used, you know, in the U.S. for RCIAs where it can be done. And it's modeled off of the Catechism of the Catholic Church put out in 1992. Um they kind of took that and adapted it to the U.S., which was sort of the vision of of the the ninety two catechism. Um, the same year, what came out was the compendium of the catechism of the Catholic Church, which is a sort of question and answer reader's digest version of of the ninety two catechism. Okay, and uh, again compiled by Cardinal Ratzinger at the time, and then you know Pope Benedict. Um, it's from what I have heard, it's you know well-regarded. I don't own a copy of it. I've flipped through it before, um, but it kind of takes those same teachings from the 92 Catechism and turns them into question and answers. Um, another really popular adaptation of the 92 Catechism is what's called the UCAT. Have you, uh, have you heard of that? The UCAT, no. So the UCAT is it's short for Youth Catechism. Okay. okay. It's, very, um, it's very famous. It, it's question and answer. Um, and it's sort of specifically for young people. Okay. It, it basically takes the paragraphs of the catechism of the Catholic Church, turns them into question and answer, and then makes it 
you young person friendly. Okay. Um, just my opinion. So for what it's worth, my critique on this particular publication, I do own a copy is mainly that, you know, young people who are studying the faith are, are likely in school. They're probably reading a lot more than your average person reads. And they're, they're likely in or just recently left an academic setting. So, it seems backwards to sort of dumb down the catechism for this audience. I think you would want to dumb it down for 30 and 40 year olds. <laughs> no offense. Um, uh, none taken. Well, I mean, realistically a 30 or 40 year old, especially in the West probably doesn't read and probably watches you know 20 hours of television a day. What so if, what if they, they do both Zach asking for a what friend? What if I know a, you know, what if, just just say I'm a 30-year-old who watches TV and reads every day. Well, I mean, then, you know, that sort of makes you something of an exception. I don't, th- I mean, I don't know. Maybe people read more, especially with the internet. But I would think that you would want to talk up to somebody who's, you know, in, uh, you know, the last years of high school or attending in a university. You know, young people are much more educated now than in the past. Sure. I think it's people that are, you know away from that that want that you might need to to dumb it down. So I've always just thought it was interesting that when they they take something and make it for the youth, they're sort of forgetting that the youth are in, are still going to class and have assigned readings and are, are probably more, you know, academically minded and, mm-hmm. and sort of intellectually stimulated than their older, you know, friends and neighbors. Well also I all I am of the mind that you should treat high school students or college students more adultish in the faith because that's when you get to the good stuff of why you should stay Catholic, right? Instead of treating them like kids until they're 19 years old, like all the, all the kitty stuff and all the sunshine and rainbow stuff kind of pushes them away, I think. So if you actually treat them like adults, they'll have questions and you can answer them like actual questions, right? And uh, then it just, I think it helps their faith in the long run. Yeah, you know, it actually reminds me of a movie that hopefully no one has seen <laughs> called Mean Girls. Sure. Are you familiar with uh, the Tina Fey movie Mean Girls? I am. And Lindsay Lohan. And I you, you heard of that one? You yes. heard this movie? You seen it? <laughs> um, yeah. So there's this scene that they're like in the cafeteria. And um, so one of the characters is trying to sabotage all the other characters, and she's doing it by giving them these uh, these bars, like these candy bar, nutrition bar things that are just loaded down with calories to sort of help people in a in, in a poorer country like get enough to eat. But she's she's explaining to her friends that you know actually what the label says because it's not in English is that it's a diet bar, right? Okay. Um, and when she says that, she's like, oh yeah, it's in Swedish because it's got an ingredient that's not, um, not legal in the United States. And immediately this other girl who, you know, is basically portrayed as an airhead throughout the whole movie just Lacey starts naming, Chabet, right? Yeah. She just starts naming, you know, oh, ephedra, fendermine, and just like instantly <laughs> knowing all these kind of, you know, things. And it just sort of points out that like, even your sort of dumb high school kids, when it's a topic of interest, they're they're very good at learning and, and understanding something. And so dumbing something down for this audience is probably a mistake. I don't know. Maybe it's a dumb example. It just kind of came to mind 
of when, you know, out of this whole movie, all of a sudden this character transforms into like a chemist and <laughs> has all this knowledge of, of what's legal and not legal as far as diet substances. Um, no, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So you, but UCAT. again, there's the, U, the UCAT is very popular. And so saying anything negative about it will get you, um, lots of trolls and people asking if you're truly loyal to the Pope. So, um, my, my only critique is perhaps in the style of that one. Zach, um, would you like to answer and go on the record right now? Are you loyal to the Pope? Yes, I am. I I believe that for myself that I will repent and submit to the Pope, and I recommend everyone else do the same. There it is. You've heard it here first. Zach Mabry, loyal to the Pope. Please continue. Yeah. So, okay, we've talked about universal catechisms. We've talked about local catechisms and sort of adaptations of universal catechisms um the last category are just sort of um is it the i don't know marvel cinematic universe catechism zach yeah that's it okay. that's it it's expansion pack <laughs> um no so these catechisms they're essentially your sort of non um non-magisterial catechisms they're not necessarily published by like a church authority but they're just put out by a spiritual writer of some kind um is this where Spirago would fall into? Yes, exactly. So perhaps the best one out there is the Spirago. It's called Catechism Explained, right? And it, you know, it's a very exhaustive um, explanation of the faith, and totally one to get and read. Um, another one is what is it called? Um, it's Father John Harden that puts it out. Um, I want to. I wanted people to know the title so that you guys can go buy it. So let me just let me. I'm gonna remind myself. Father John Harden was um, an excellent. Oh, it's called a contemporary catechism, or no, sorry, the Catholic Catechism, a contemporary catechism of the teachings of the Catholic Church. Um, it came out in '75, so this was after um, the middle of the 20th century when things sort of got rough. Um, Father Hardin is a Jesuit, so that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so again, a lot of times if you see a book on the cover and it's got you know SJ on it, you, you know alarm bells will go off. But for this one, uh, it's really good, and, and some of his other works are good. And there's there's a lot historically of, of extremely good works by uh, Jesuits. Sure. Um, just just I mean I would just check the date on those. Um, so yeah, this one's it's got like a weird yellow. You've probably seen it in books, or if you've if you've like gone on Amazon, because it'll just keep recommending catechisms if you've ever bought one. <laughs> so um, so again, like those don't have like the magisterial authority of the church behind them, except to the extent that they quote magisterial documents. Um, but when we're understanding that the truths of the faith don't change, it's essentially again a teaching and learning tool um, that you can use to find a really well kind of articulated um, explanation for the faith. Right. So did you get the Spirago one? Yeah, I have the Spirago one. It's sitting on my in my shelf on my pile of uh, very large, intimidating Catholic books that I have not read yet. But it's there. It's a, pr it's a pretty large book, I will say. I mean, it goes into to detail. Right. Um, you know, there's certain aspects of it that'll seem... Uh, a little bit dated um, depending on just because you know it also talks about canon law that's not enforced anymore 
So obviously we know that like the universal law of the church is that for instance, you don't eat meat on Friday, right? Um, all throughout the year, but in the United States and in many other countries, the bishops have, have lifted that requirement. So, you know, that's tricky and certain other things have changed. So, you know, older documents tend to be great, but you just want to make sure that with certain issues of law that you, you get the up to date because only the most up to date canon law applies. But truths regarding doctrine, et cetera, are are unchanging. So these are, you know, kind of invaluable tools that you want to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the overall point to get across is that doctrine won't change. Something, the catechism will never have anything entered into it that has not been believed by the church throughout its history, right? So the church won't come to know something special in 2018 that Aquinas didn't know uh, in 1200 or whenever he was he was around right it may have not been defined as it has been in 2018 but if you go back and you ask a doctor of the church what they think about this certain thing they will give you the answer that you're looking for so right, or they'll often at least not give a contradictory sure. answer. Sure, you know they they may not have right. It won't be language. might not be word for word, but it won't won't be the opposite. Yes. Um. So yeah, I, I just think that's helpful to understand kind of what's a catechism. I'd say go out and buy buy a bunch. Highly recommend the Roman Catechism. Um, you know, you may want to get like the ebook of the the ninety two Catechism because it does seem to be changed pretty frequently. Um, or you could like, I, I don't know, maybe they'll send out little stickers you can lay over the old paragraph with the new one. Um, I doubt they'll order that everybody burn their, their, you know, second edition catechisms in light of the changes. Um, but you know, just something to keep in mind. And the, um, the IPA app will actually read the Pius X catechism to you. The one that came out, um, in the early 20th century. So that's kind of cool because it's question and answer. So like on a drive or something, you can be listening to it and it'll, you know, ask, you know, are you a Christian? Yes. By the grace of God, I am a Christian. <laughs> what do you mean by grace of God? I mean, you know, it, it's, it's very basic and it, it's pretty neat. If you play to, that uh, in your car on a drive, does your car automatically become baptized? Is that how that Yeah, your car is very blessed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So in conclusion... What took place this past week was not a church-changing, doctrine-defying, everything is in shambles, burn-it-all-down change. The, the church is the same as it was. The doctrine is the same as it was. The catechism is still good to go. Um, basically, yeah, so that's, that's what we're trying to get across. Right. I mean, essentially, a um, a quote from a speech that was given last October was was you um, was inserted to replace one paragraph of of one of the church's catechisms, the the newest one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, not um, not groundbreaking. And so you, you do. What I would say on that though is that there seems to be this weird mindset that people a lot of them academics but not exclusively have of just kind of laughing this stuff off and dismissing it but you know i actually did have cradle catholics reach out to me confused about what 
was going on. I don't mean cradle Catholics in a bad way. I just mean, you know, they've been Catholic for a long time. Sure. And they were very confused. You know, they're like, well, what does this mean? You know, was the church wrong before? What's going on? And it's it's not fair to dismiss those types of questions and concerns. Not everybody is, you know, reading all this stuff as closely as we are. Not everybody is, um, you know, fortunate enough to have teachers explain to them, you know, what a catechism is and, and what, what the church's magisterial authority is, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You know, most people... I think most people get a lot of their church news just through CNN. And so when CNN says the church has changed its teaching, you know, that's going to be troubling for some people or I guess exciting for some people, you know, it's going to be all sorts of, of things. Um, Well, CNN is fake news, Zach. So, well, of course. Um, So, you know, it's not, I don't, I, I didn't really like that kind of dismissive tone of laughing off people who were legitimately confused or concerned. I mean, you know, their concerns are valid and not, again, not everybody is a professor. So, um, I also think that the church should, uh, people within the church or the faithful who are more educated than others should never laugh off questions in general when it comes to matters of the church, because with your response to a question may very well fair or not fair determine someone's place in the church right if you give them the wrong answer then they very well might never go to church again whereas if you give them the correct answer if it's even if it's one that they don't accept or like then they may find their way back to the church you know what i'm saying so if if always always be ready and willing to answer a question if you're able and if you are unable then pass them off to someone who can answer it for them. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, you know, it's important for shepherds of souls, you know, the, the, the men of the clergy to consider the way that, that their teachings and their behavior are going to filter down to, you know, kind of your common everyday Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to be careful about, well, how, how do we think, the news is going to report on this. What do we expect the CNN headline to be? Um, you know, the Holy See has has you know pretty robust uh, PR teams that they hire from you know large firms, often from America, and you know a whole communications you know wing. So we're fortunate enough to have the tools uh, at our disposal to make sure that anything that the church puts out is sort of done in view of how it's going to actually be reported now media can twist things and whatnot but you know realize that a news anchor is reporting on 20 different things at once you know it pains me when they talk about financial matters because they just don't know anything about that stuff and that's what my degree is in and then it's worse when they try to talk about stuff for the church so you always want to like lay out all the pieces very clearly um so that the news can make it out to the masses mm-hmm. right to the muck to the muck farmers, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, just like us. How will this be reported in the muck? I don't know. Should you gotta I, ask yourself. Is that should we start uh when we start this blog that we're keep saying we're gonna start, should we call it the muck? No, it's obviously called the Roman Circus blog. That's our email address. Oh yeah, that's true. I keep forgetting. Um yes. Yes that's that's a good recap of that. I would say, yeah, don't don't worry. The church is here, not going anywhere. Oh, speaking of that, we had we 
touched on that last week and thanks to everyone who downloaded last week's episode because it's our, currently our most downloaded episode um we were yes and that was really neat to see yeah we're slowly but surely gaining more listeners and gaining more followers on twitter and we're becoming real boys within the catholic podcast community and uh we appreciate it we've only been doing this for eight months so we appreciate everyone taking note and telling their friends and interacting with us i have a blast on twitter talking with everyone so i really do appreciate it and i hope that you continue to listen and tell your friends because we want to take over the catholic podcast community i'm not shy about saying it yep we're coming for that number one spot that's right um no it's been fun and the feedback that we get is is great and people that tell us that they're praying for us and whatnot um i I really enjoy it and this kind of becomes the highlight of my week as we continue on um we did get feedback on the last message i thought it'd be good to maybe bring up on our last episode can you kind of summarize um one of the comments we got sent over oh is this on direct message on twitter yeah uh yeah this was from from ellen so we had made a point i i forget what point or who who made this point but we had ellen had said that one thing we said was to watch out for how well catechized a diocese is if we're concerned about abuse Mm -hmm. there and she points out that the Diocese of Lincoln is going through a scandal right now. And they are very well known for tradition and vocations and catechesis. Um, she just thought it would be nice to, to, to remind us. And I, I really did appreciate it uh, that, we, oh, yeah. that, we, that we can't necessarily just give a free pass to a you know, well-formed diocese. And if we made it sound like anyone should get a free pass, then I'm sorry, but that's not how we meant it. No one should get a free pass with what's going on. Everyone is everyone is up for, uh, I don't know, the Inquisition, whatever we want to call it. Yes. Right. And, you know, that's one of the important things is that we've got to be focused on the goal of, of cleaning this stuff up and bringing this stuff to light. And we can't get too, you know, broken up into factions. And so I really appreciated the feedback that we got on that. Um, yeah, the the bad stuff that's going on, and there's more articles coming out. Maybe we can retweet one. But for the most part, you guys, it's on the left, it's on the right, and it's on the trad right. Um, there's, there's things that happen all throughout the church. Um, my point on catechism is basically saying that you really can't expect um, a culture of, you know, silence and scandal and cover up and stuff to to effectively catechize the diocese where it's taking place. Right. Um, and I just kind of meant on a very high level, you can gauge the pro- how widespread the problem is based on, you know, sort of the overall... Um, level of catechesis basically trying to say you could kind of look at the health of the church and catechesis as like a proxy for this um that's not meant to say that you know some of these dioceses that have been held up as sort of exemplars are immune to this right and i would also say i mean there are great things about there's good things in every diocese there's a lot of great things about i think what lincoln um but there's plenty of fallen away catholics in lincoln who are you know there's also problems there too right so well Zach, but on a broad scale catholics are have become 
you know, they're not being catechized. No one's trying to teach them anything. Nobody's bringing the faith to them. And that's more what I was saying, not to not necessarily parse out good diocese, bad diocese. Sure, and this is actually a good chance for a formed diocese like Lincoln to really grab a hold of these things and lead the charge on cleaning things up. So, you know, so if they... if, if we say they're well-formed, which we believe they are, then this is their time to shine, right? Right. I mean, we've seen the response to other American hierarchs basically saying, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know, let's start a committee, you know, I didn't know. And then, so, you know, this is, you know, Bishop Conley and Lincoln, this is his chance to do something different. So, um, you know, this is why we need to pray for the bishops and do penance for the bishops and fast for them, because, you know... They're the successors of the apostle, right? Of the apostles, and so you know they have to lead the church, and um, you know I, I think that as this stuff continues to be brought to light, it's going to continue to be somewhat shocking and troubling. And so, uh, again, remind everybody to pray a rosary, stick close to Our Lady, and, and you know replay last week's episode that we're, we're in the church for union with Christ, and and don't let this stuff you know shake your faith, and and don't I guess don't underestimate its ability to shake your faith sure um because it it's rough stuff you know and it 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 shouldn't be easy to stomach right oh no i agree we have to we have to call them all out get them all out there yes so thank you very much ellen for the feedback um it was it was great yeah saint of the week yep saint cajetan you heard of this you heard of this saint zach I have, but remind me. Feast day, August 7th. So it was a couple days ago. He was born in, let's see, 1480, died in 1547. There's one reason why I'm picking this as Saint of the Week. He's an Italian Catholic priest and religious reformer. That's not the reason I'm picking him. The reason I'm picking him is he's the patron saint of gamblers, Zach. So... Oh, is he? Sorry? Oh, is he? Yes, he's the patron saint of Argentina, the unemployed, document controllers, bankers, gamblers. So, yeah, if if next time you walk into Las Vegas or your local casino, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying spend all your money there and pray to this saint that you win. What I am saying is, if you are going to gamble and you're gambling within your means and you're not being a complete crazy person, just know that there's a patron saint for this activity. Yep, that's that's what I got. That's the saint of the week, St. Cajetan. St. Cajetan. Well, pray for us. Uh, be Watch over Las Vegas, I guess. Watch over... Be with us during all, football all season. Gambling. All right, Zach, good work this week. Have a good rest of your week. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will talk with you soon. Yep, see you later.